0: <laughs> but over the long term, the average return on the S&P 500, it all depends on when you start measuring it from, but the low end of the averages is around 7, 7.5%. So at some point, people who park money temporarily that they've sold out of stock positions, out of equity positions and mutual funds and actual shares, they either move the money on to do something else, lock it up someplace, or they leave it parked temporarily. And what we're seeing is there's a tremendous i think something approaching as a percentage of the value of the New York Stock Exchange something approaching a record percentage quantity of temporary cash sitting out there yeah that cash historically goes back into stocks at some point
1: Once more into the breach, dear friends. Else,
0: fill the wall up with our English dead, English British.
1: It definitely British. English in, in the English, play. yes. In Else, the play.
0: fill the wall up with our English dead. Yes. yes. If you uh, do, you, if you have any English dead, we would like to borrow them to fill up the wall. Yeah, there's a big. We don't have any.
1: There's a big hole in the walls of Harfleur, and we need to fill them up with something with, English, and with dead Englishmen. Yes, and that is the newest uh, energy uh, uh, saving building material i suppose at least in shakespeare's time or he was writing about it from time much before him anyway henry the fifth is where we get that quote that we say at the beginning of every episode because it does feel a bit like we are charging castle walls to be live on the air we are not in living color we are in whatever color the ether waves are which you can put on a filter and see those things yeah i guess yeah but they don't fall in the nor- normal uh, color wheel. There. This is the personal wealth coach. We are going to talk about silly things, especially the silly ones. Oh, well, I mean the serious ones. Yeah, the silly serious things and the serious silly things that make up our world. We will be talking about the world of finance and economics. But before we get started on that, we have a series of disclosures to make. If that first rambling couple of sentences weren't wasn't a disclosure enough, we're weird. Uh, We're bald, we're bearded. Two bearded men talking about economics and finance uh, for two hours. That's a pretty big disclosure, right there. Uh, Okay, those of you that haven't switched the channel already um, or switched podcasts, uh, we are the personal wealth coach. This uh, this is not coincidentally also the name of the firm that's run by these two bald guys. Jeff and Jake, by the way, are father and son. Jeff. Elder Baldy over there has a white beard, and that's how you can tell him apart in the podcast, in the radio broadcast. Uh, Mine is much more salt and peppery. So if you have any trouble distinguishing between the two of us, just fall back on that. We're both wearing some plaid, so that's not going to help you a bit. Um, We're not in living color, so it's just the ether waves. Um, The firm that we have is registered to give investment advice And it's registered with the SEC to do so, the Securities and Exchange Commission. But we can't do that on the air. Even though we're the ones registered to give advice for the firm, we can't give advice on the air, which is weird. But it's pretty smart, actually. Because if we give some advice to one of you, and it's good advice to you, I'm pretty certain it would be horrible advice to somebody else also listening. So privacy concerns, we've got to know who you are and understand your situation in order to give fiduciary advice. We can't do that on the air. So instead, what we're going to do is talk about nothing. No, no, we'll do something. We're going to do education. Uh, We can't give advice, but hopefully we can help provide you the tools to give yourself advice, or at least know when you need to ask for help. And that's what this program is about. Now, just because the firm's registered with the SEC, that's not meant to imply in any way that the SEC thinks that we, the firm, the two bald guys are at all significant or important except in a regulatory matter. Uh, they they require us to tell you that the firm is registered with the SEC, and then they require us to tell you that the SEC isn't giving anointments of blessing upon us. Um, they, they neither confirm nor deny. But when they deny, they do it harshly. Most of the time, they don't confirm. Okay, so uh, we don't get paid to do this program. It is also not paid for. We don't pay to do it. They don't pay us to do it. So why have we been doing this for 26 years now? Yeah. Don't ask that too many times. <laughs> we might stop. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, we do get some clientele from this over the years. We've gotten quite a number of people to come into our office and talk to us about their investments, but we kind of specialize in high net worth. And most people with a large quantity of money don't make their decisions based on a radio program. So, really, what we're doing is educating. We Believe in it. I would rather everybody know this stuff than not. And now the, uh, the last, but maybe most important disclosure, most important for the mental health of, of the two hosts, particularly the elder one. If he doesn't say this at least once a week, his head might explode. I'm sure he mumbles it when he's on vacation just to make sure everybody is well aware of this disclosure. Okay. You have now been set up for your disclosure. The information we present on this educational radio
0: program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: Right. And right before he said that, you couldn't pick it up because we don't have sensitive enough microphones. He gave such an enormous eye roll at me for my setup. (laughs) That should have been picked up by the microphone. (laughs) All right. So what happened in the market this week? Or the economy in general.
0: Well, the the
1: market, the S&P
0: 500 stock index, which is incidentally the one we use, and I've been asked several times, why don't we use the Dow or the NASDAQ or something? The S&P 500 stock index, which is the biggest sampling, it's about 80% of the stocks listed in the United States, uh, rose a whopping 0.32% this week.
1: Wait, it and went up just, this week? I saw nothing up. but gloom and doom all day long, every day, across every news publication well, reporting to mid, talk about finance,
0: midweek when it sure enough looked like we were going to default, uh, the United States was going to default. It dropped down to about forty one hundred, but it closed out at about forty two oh five. Which the, the the stock market has been doing this for some time. Uh, the news is apocalyptic. The world's going to end. The finances are going to implode. That's. The financial news and then the stock market kind of zigzags around and rises a little bit. And it's been, well, this is the end of the month, effectively. And it's now risen for two months.
1: The The volatility index, we don't track it very often, has been quite high lately. But the net result of all of that bounciness in the market is a very, very slow, gradual growth mm-hmm. over the past, well, since October. Yeah, um, the NASDAQ. For those of you not, I think most of you are familiar with what that
0: is. National, it, it actually used to stand for National Association of Securities Dealers, uh, active quotes. Um, but since the National Association of Securities Dealers no longer exists, it's just the NASDAQ. Now. Well, they actually, it, it,
1: they, the NASDAQ became NASDAQ before the NASD stopped being the NASD and merged with the right stock but exchanges. It, it, to since the NASD FINRA.
0: doesn't exist anymore it's just a word nasdaq right it rose 2.51 percent the dow jones industrial average fell one percent so what's the market do this week well that's why we stick with the s&p 500 stock index uh it, it generally is in the middle and tells us what is going on fundamentally um the spx which we refer to, is up 9.53% this year, over 17% higher than it was last October. It remains about 12% lower than it was at the beginning of last year. But it has risen 38% over the last three years, and that's a compound average annual rate of return of 11.25% a year. Whoa. So is the market up or down? It's up. Um, It's been higher, but it's up. And and it's charging along very nicely. One of the interesting things, and we mentioned this in the newsletter, but reading the tea leaves is important sometimes, trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. You use tea There's leaves? a couple of things. I, I,
1: I do owl droppings. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: I don't have an owl, so it's hard for me to do that. Right. We, we, we have we, to read
1: something in our off time. That's, right. that's what we're saying.
0: The short interest on the S&P 500, what is short interest? That's when people borrow shares and they they pay, in essence, a rent on them to the brokerage firm. If you have... Let's say you you have a 1,000 shares of AT&T and it's uh, sitting at the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and what your broker-dealer that you hold it through, that's being custodian, will lend shares out.
1: And that's usually being lent from people that are their customers. So their customers right. say, I want to get a premium. Somebody's going to pay me some money so that I can lend them my stock, but they have to pay me my stock back at the end of this, at the end of the right. contract. The
0: the issue is that that's a, a big piece of how broker-dealers make money. Anyway, short interest is when people borrow stock from the broker-dealer and sell it. And then wait, they wait. will have to buy it back Let me to make return sure. it at some point.
1: Right. So they owe it and then they sell it. Why would they do that?
0: Because they think it's going to go down. They
1: think the stock
0: will be lower in the future. And there are, you can actually buy um, options on the, you, you can borrow SP 500 index as, a, as, a, as if it were a single company. And you can what's called short it, which is to sell it short. So you sold uh, the borrowed one. You don't actually own it, but you sold it. And, and at some point, you're going to have to rebuy it and pay. Get back. Now, why is this important, other than the fact that people do it? Because all of those shares that have been sold short have to be bought back at some point, otherwise, the person who borrowed the shares will continually pay interest and fees to the broker dealer and eventually won't will, will lose any potential for profit. And when we have a very, very high short interest, and I was looking, trying to find a higher point, and I couldn't find it, uh, but I only looked in this century. Um, That means there's a lot of stock that's sitting out there that is going to have to be bought by the people who borrowed it so they can return it. This is what typically gives the kick in the pants to a bull market. And there's a second element.
1: I'm going to give a parallel here. Because it's recent enough that people still remember this. The meme stocks, Bed Bath & Beyond, but much more specifically, GameStop. GameStop had no profits. It was losing money. It owed a bunch of debt. Its net worth, in essence, was negative. It was making negative earnings, which means it was losing money. And it was just had enough cash to keep barely limping along. And a bunch of hedge funds looking at this failing company said, I'm going to borrow their stock and I'm going to sell it. That's called naked short. When you don't own the stock that you just sold, but you're going to have to return the stock to the original owner that you borrowed from. So they have to buy at some point. Well, the Reddit folks, the, the, uh, the apes on Reddit all got together and said, buy GameStop. They've already sold it, which means they have to buy it back, which means that's going to push the price up. There's nothing good about the company itself, but because people are betting against it, you can make them eat their hats basically by making the price go up while they're holding money that they need to buy the stock back with.
0: It was an, Of course, it was an interesting aspect of that that folks on Reddit figured out. There was more, more shares of GameStop sold short than there were shares of GameStop.
1: Right, because some people borrowed the stock and and then lent it out after they borrowed it again for right. a higher price.
0: So the issue is when you have a lot of short interest in the market, it means that there is a prevailing sense that the market's going to go down. However, all those people who sold those shares short have to come in and buy them back. Now, there's, So that is going to mean there'll be a lot of buying that goes on in the market at some point in the future. The second element is, it's possible to track what happens to money in general, not with any specific person, when they sell stock or equity mutual funds. And what we're seeing is that money is going into temporary parking positions rather than being spent or going into long-term CDs or something like that. Temporary well, as long as, the, positions, as
1: long as these short-term interest rates are highest, mm-hmm. then why would you put them anywhere but this short-term interest rate position?
0: Well, because... Well, I just uh, let's look at the last three years of the S and P 500, averaging 11.25 percent a year. So, if you could back up three years and you had even if you had five percent money market funds then, as we do today, and you have a choice between getting five percent for the next ninety days and you don't know what you get after that, or you had the opportunity to buy into the market and get 11.25 because you could perfectly see the future, which you (laughs) can't.
1: You can't. Wouldn't it be nice though? (laughs) But
0: over the long term. The average return on the S&P 500, it all depends on when you start measuring it from, but the low end of the averages is around 7, 7.5%. So at some point, people who park money temporarily that they've sold out of stock positions, out of equity positions and mutual funds and actual shares, they either move the money on to do something else, lock it up someplace, or they leave it parked temporarily. And what we're seeing is There's a tremendous, I think something approaching as a percentage of the value of the New York Stock Exchange, something approaching a record percentage quantity of temporary cash sitting out there. Yeah, That cash historically goes back into stocks at some point. Now, when it's going to occur?
1: We're seeing that anecdotally in, in, right. in our business. People are selling things and saying, I'll just leave this in the money market for now. It's paying a lot of money. Now, it's paying roughly what inflation was last year so it's not like they're gaining a lot but it feels like they are this is one of the tools that the federal reserve is counting on by ra- low or raising those interest rates is that less money is being used to fuel new investments new company growth because why would you when you can just sock it away there and get five percent or or in, in the, so these yeah. we-
0: The the important thing to note here is that when these two elements have coincided historically, it marks that there will be a major rise in the market in the not-too-distant future. When it's not-too-distant, it's months, basically.
1: Now, now, I was just going to throw in why the short interest in the market was so high, because people are afraid about the debt ceiling.
0: And Well, actually, we were running up well before the debt ceiling became an issue. They're afraid the Federal Reserve is going to throw us into a recession. Right. And if they do, the consensus of people who have been right in the past is even if we have a recession in the United States, it'll be very, very mild. Um, The stock market is being amazingly resilient despite all these factors working against it. And one of the reasons it's amazingly resilient at this point is, once again, there's a lot of cash available to buy stocks with. And that's what it's targeted on eventually. So every time the market takes a dip, people come in and buy some more. Now you you, so that's very great. Have
1: have we wrapped up the market? Because there's all kind there's just a flood of cool things that we could talk about in combination with what we just said. So quick, what happened?
0: Well, the yield on the benchmark ten year treasury note crept upward to three point eight percent from last week's three point seven. And it's not a big deal because this year, actually going back into December the yield on the 10-year note has been bobbing up and down. The Treasury yield curve is still amazingly inverted. As a matter of fact, the one-month T-bill, in other words, if you bought, and you can't buy them from the government, obviously, right now because they can't borrow money, but if you bought on the secondary market a one-month Treasury bill that matures in one month, um, you theoretically are going to get a 6% yield annualized for that month. Now, is that... Why is that? Well, the, because the distinct possibility exists that if you hold it for a month and the government then is supposed to send you your $10,000 that for your T-bill that you bought, they might not. But I don't think that's realistic either. I think they will. And we'll talk about that later. What happens if we default and buy best analysis? And, and one of the things that's pretty clear is that the first priority will be to pay off treasury securities. And if they have any money left over, then they can start into some other things. But that's the first priority. Oil rose to, West Texas Intermediate rose to $72.80. Again, that's well within the trading range, nothing big.
1: Okay. Um, uh, you, As you pointed out, I had mentioned volatility being up and I hadn't meant to say up. I meant to say down. Uh, and you said, hey, you said, it's not up. It's remarkably subdued. Why the reason why I was what I was talking about there, and I said it completely wrong. The market is not acting like there's apocalypse over it. Uh, the volatility is remarkably up. I should have said down there. I, the comparison. Sorry about that. I am uh, correcting and retracting that story. Please strike that from the record, <clears throat> or just go on strike. That that works. Uh, volatility is very very low, which is. Amazing. It's the lowest it's been since the pandemic started. It's not quite as low as it was pre-pandemic. Uh, so why? When we have all this other stuff, it's doom and gloom in the newspapers. We've got a debt ceiling thing happening. Why is the market so calm? What do you think?
0: I think because earnings remain up. People who are serious purchasers of stocks, uh, of equities, are looking at all the numbers we're looking at and saying, for example, um, One of the articles relative to what John wrote, uh, his question earlier, is that Microsoft is considered to be a safer bet than the United States government right now. People are buying short-term debt from Microsoft. Microsoft's short-term bonds and notes are higher in price and lower in interest rates than they were before the crisis. Uh, So people are looking at that and saying, all the things we see, which is that the consumer has plenty of money, they increase their spending, There is no longer pressure on the margins of corporations because of somebody who's going to make what they make and then move it to China. Uh, and, and be able to make it cheaper than they're making it. That has been part of the economic landscape for decades now, is that if you're making something in the United States, you could be run out of business by somebody who is making it essentially the same thing. They're your competitors, but they're making it in China. Now, there's exceptions to that, obviously, and that is you can't exactly have a, China, a person in China do the plumbing on your house, which is why services inflation has been so high. But across the United States economy, I think serious investors are looking long-term and they're seeing a lot of health. They're seeing a lot of uh, potential going forward. And so the markets haven't tanked. Matter of fact, they're slowly rising. We go through crisis after crisis and the world doesn't end and people are gradually moving back in. This is, and again, it's just, it is it is a classic beginning to a bull market, whether only hinds, in hindsight, will we know, whether this is accurate or not, but Bull markets climb a wall of worry. And frankly, I would be very afraid at this point if I didn't see a lot of things to be afraid of. When you don't see anything to be afraid of and you're convinced this will go on forever and this is wonderful and your mother-in-law just made a killing on some fancy tech stock or something like that, when you see that, that's when you should be afraid of a major market downturn. I've certainly been through that enough times. Right now, everybody is scared And they're scared very seriously. I'm, by the way, not at all convinced that we will see, even if McCarthy and Biden come to an agreement, I'm not at all sure that they will be able to sell it to their respective parties in the House of Representatives. The more I've studied this, both sides are, by the way, certain issues they said is a red line. The Republicans say those people receiving assistance from the government to live need to work. They need to have, they need to go out and go to work. And the, that's a red line, period. And the compromise is, well, okay, if, if there's no children and they're able bodied and the Republicans saying no, uh, and I'm not talking about Speaker McCarthy, I'm talking about individual members of the Freedom Caucus who have said this is a red line issue. On the Democrat side, they've got the same red line. It's just Only the it's reverse the side. side of the red line. Yeah. The, pe- the people who are receiving assistance from the government because they're poor and poorly educated or whatever, uh, forcing them to, to have a job before they get any money is a red line to the Democrats. And I can actually see both sides of that argument. I can I can understand. Uh, one of the specifics that I read about in a Wall Street Journal article I thought it was interesting is a you've got a mother and she's got kids. Um, and they are they get off school at three o'clock and she discovers that no matter how hard she tries to work because of her poor education, she doesn't make enough money to pay the rent and pay child care. So she stopped working because she was, a- was actually going to drive her into bankruptcy if she worked. And if she stopped working and she has the kids, then the government support comes in and she can pay the rent because she doesn't have to pay child care. That's one side of that argument. The other side of the argument is if we are giving her an incentive not to work by paying her for staying home and taking care of the kids. Um, That red line, McCarthy and Biden may find a compromise on that, but the issue is whichever side of the red line the compromise falls on is either going to lose a significant number of Democrats or a significant number of Republicans. I am, I, I want to be very, very optimistic that, that we will not default on the debt, but I think there is enough Polarization in the House of Representatives right now that the distinct possibility exists that we will default on the debt. Uh, when I say default on the debt, the Treasury will be forced to prioritize who gets paid, which will immediately generate a huge number of lawsuits, which may tie everything up. And we, this it, it, is not a pretty picture. And, and again, let me put the bottom line on this. What I'm not even talking on, but I want to put a bottom line on this. Congress passed. Laws requiring the Treasury to spend money above and beyond estimated tax revenues. The proper way to deal with that is when they do next year's budget for Congress, and all spending bills have to originate in the House of Representatives. The Republicans have a majority in the House of Representatives, then just lower spending next year and make the hard decisions as to and, and take credit for the decisions that you make.
1: And simply saying
0: cut spending.
1: And let let me kind of give it a a bit of rationality to say how much of the budget are we talking about should the work criteria be added, okay? And there are only rough estimates at this point, but economic security programs are the ones they're talking about. That's like SNAP and welfare in general, and it's also uh, earned income credit. The earned income credit, already, you already have to have earned income. You don't have to have as much as you're getting a credit for. It's a, it's called a refundable credit. You can actually receive more than you earned, but you have to have a job to get that. That's why it's called earned income. Then you have SNAP and WIC and things like that. WIC requires a child to be involved. SNAP as well is related to, to these are benefits given. And then there's unemployment insurance. So if we're saying, all right, so we're just the programs that are economic security, if you put a job criteria on it, how much would that change the budget? And the answer is less than 1%. Less The, the economic security pro, per, as a percentage of the budget is 11% of the budget. The change to say some of you aren't working and we're drawing a red line and we're going to destroy the whole system is less than 1%. Of the budget of the United States, this is the red line that's been drawn by the Republicans. No, we're going to break everything to make that a slightly different version, and the numbers aren't exactly distorted here. But if if it's this is actually a larger number than what's happening at Congress with this area. If you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you threaten to stop paying the mortgage, the car bill, uh, and the credit card bills because your spouse is giving $100 a month to the food pantry. And she's not aware if the food that's being given to the recipients has a work requirement. And if it does, then um, we'd only be giving $90 a month instead of $100 a month. That's the point I'm making, that this is a tiny portion of the budget that is the bottom line, red line I'm not going to bend on.
0: Let me change your analogy a little bit. Okay. You're making $100,000 a year, but your household is spending $107,000 a year. Right. And you how do you adjust that? Well, you obviously the, the standard in what I would tell people is let's sit down and go over the budget and see where you're spending the money and stop spending so much money um, or get a better job, get more income. Those are your choices. The choice that Congress... At least the the Republicans, and to some degree the Democrats, they've got the red line too, are saying is the way we reduce our budget is to stop paying on existing debts. And stop, stop, paying the the p- stop, stop paying, paying the, the mortgage.
1: Stop paying the credit card
0: bills. Stop paying. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to make things worse. And we are out of time. Yeah.
1: So if you have the opportunity or can make the opportunity, please... Um, contact your representative to Congress and say, raise the debt ceiling. I realize they've got principles involved and all of that, but this is a bad, bad, bad thing. We don't want it to happen. Um, We don't want us to default. Uh, Man, there's all kinds of English grammatical errors with that, but I I think it was correct. Uh, If you'd like to talk to us off the air... Um, we have voicemail waiting, uh, real live people during the weekdays, weekends, voicemail. Uh, you can reach us locally at 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, and uh, you can read our newsletter, sign up for a newsletter. Uh, we put it out on Fridays uh you can uh, get our podcasts anywhere you get podcasts you can listen to our full radio program going back a lot of years on the web page you can contact us through the contact form or directly at jeff and or jake at tpwc.com until next week this has been the personal wealth coach